are listening to Two for Tea. I'm your host, Iona Italia. And I'm her frequent co-host, Helen Pluckrose. This is a podcast about politics, society, science and art. And about how everyone is wrong apart from us. This podcast is brought to you in association with ARIO magazine, a digital forum for calm, reasonable voices from across the political spectrum. The podcast is entirely listener-supported. To become a patron and gain access to patron-only broadcasts and other perks, support us on Patreon at 2 for Tea. Welcome to The Conversation. Hello, everyone. This is your host, Iona, and I'm coming to you as usual from Buenos Aires. And today we have the wonderful treat that my co-host, Helen Pluckrose, is here. Hello, Helen. Hello. Helen is coming to us from London. And our guests this week are Dane and Clyde Rathbone, who are the founders of Letter, which is a new platform project, which we're going to be talking about, I think, quite a lot during this podcast, which I'm also involved in. And well, we'll find out in a minute what Letter is all about. I asked them to send me a bio, but I I just hear from Dane that Clyde is a horrible man. Dane is very clever and handsome. They're both modest Australian (laughs) hunks and the founders of Letter. I think that's all you need to know. Welcome, Dane and Clyde. Thank you. Thanks for having us. And you're coming to us from Canberra and Helen's in London. So this is a truly international four-way podcast today. Yes. Fall for tea. What uh, what tea is everyone drinking? Uh, So I I have, Helen will not approve. (laughs) (laughs) There is only one tea. We've been over this. I happen to know Dane can make proper tea, so uh, I'm not falling for it. Well, it's it's debatable what proper tea actually is. Helen <laughs> seems to think that four bags of four. tea in a cup It was is, only uh, three when she was with Mike. <laughs> yeah, because Australian tea bags, they, they've got about five grains of tea in them. You have to put it in there and then steep it for about 10 minutes. It isn't, I, I don't know what they're thinking. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's clearly even worse in Canberra because in Melbourne you're only using three bags. <laughs> This this was down in Melbourne, but uh, I guess Helen's uh, addiction got ramped right. up. So, Dane and Clyde, tell us about um, why you first decided to found Letter. What was what were the first kind of sparks of the idea, and yeah, and then we can get into what Letter is about and and what we're trying what. We, because I'm also working uh, with Letter now, uh, what we are trying to achieve here. What was the first idea you had? What was the kind of germ of the project? Okay. Um, well, this is Dane, by the way. I don't know if we've actually figured out, uh, established Which whose voices, who or if our voices are different enough for anyone to notice. But um, yeah, so um, I, I guess the the start of it was in uh, 2014, near the end of 2014, Clyde and I were living together um, in a big share house with our two other brothers um, and their girlfriends. It was a kind of a weird commune situation. <laughs> um, and uh, at dinner one night, we were sitting around. We'd we'd had had it such that you know one couple person would cook dinner for the family and would sit around and um, discuss things. And one night we were just talking about um, we got on the subject of technology and we were kind of marveling at the internet and how much it had changed our lives in, you know, in, in the last few years. And we're wondering about where it was going. And it occurred to us that the, 
the internet had brought so many good things about um, improvements to human com- communication, but it had also been a mixed bag. You know, there'd been some good things and, and some bad things. And it just seemed that it, it wasn't being fully leveraged to uh, to explore ideas and, and discover what was true. And this, this was something that we would um, do in our, in our spare time for fun is that, you know, at these dinner table discussions, um, our family culture at the Rathbone House is, is kind of adversarial. Um, so someone will put forward an idea and then uh, you kind of score points by tearing it down and making them feel bad. And, <laughs> and, and it seemed that we were, we were getting more out of exploring ideas um, with the people around us. Um, than we were on the internet. And so that sort of led us down down this rabbit hole of how could we create a, how, what would a platform look like that was designed around um, discovering what was true? Hmm. Oh, I like that idea a lot because I, I think when we're talking generally now that the whole idea of trying to discover what is true really does seem to be secondary and obviously this is something i'm i'm looking at a lot because we're we're looking at all these different perspectives and standpoints and everything at the moment and that whole sort of idea of the the marketplace of ideas where where ideas can actually do battle with each other and some of them can win and that isn't actually a problem that's the purpose that's something i, I do think we've lost and so i i tending to see letter very much as a a kind of virtual version of the marketplace of ideas yeah yeah, and I think we're very much building it for people that think similarly. You know, one of the things that Dane and I have tried to do a lot of in the last few months since launching Letter is just reach out to people who want to have the longer form, more nuanced conversation and who are dissatisfied with the existing places online to have that sort of dialogue. And, uh, you know, Dane talked a lot about the initial the conception of the idea, but I think a large part of it was also just wanting to have an adventure and do something interesting. You know, mm-hmm. I just finished playing rugby. I'd have been a professional athlete pretty much my whole working life and was coming to the end of that journey and wanted to do something ironic. Um, you know, <laughs> the idea of a desk job and routine and monotony just terrifies me and <laughs> diving into a startup with my brother um, just seemed like a good way to to have an interesting experience. I think we were comically naive about how <laughs> difficult it was going to be to build a company uh, out of Canberra, but it's been it's been a wonderful it has been a wonderful adventure so far and we're just Clyde, getting started. Clyde is one of the few rugby players that can read and write <laughs> and so it seems like uh, in like a waste not to uh, use those those skills. He hasn't ta- you haven't taken too many knocks to the head then, Clyde. <laughs> well, it's a nice backup excuse if things go back. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you ask our mother, um, she would argue with that. I think she's very concerned about yeah. you know, all the, the damage. If I lose my brain. keys, it's always traced back to some head suffering. <laughs> uh, right. Well, between you and Helen, we have various people with. <laughs> Neurological problems are potential problems, so we have a great excuse for any any fuck ups. Um, and I'm just I'm just undiagnosably mad. So, what was your background, uh, Dane, before letter? So I, I studied computer science uh, at, at university, and then I had a, a short 
two-year career in computer game development as a programmer, and then uh, sort of unexpectedly uh, segued into stand-up comedy and um, and uh, did that for five years and toured and and then my in my sort of the, la- the last year of stand-up or, or comedy before I got into Leda, I'd actually just produced a, an, a, a series, a comedy series, um, strangely with Mike Nainer, uh, who I know, you know, both of you guys know, but he's the filmmaker, you know, making uh, a documentary and around the grievance studies affair and other things around postmodernism. Um, so we, we were both in stand-up comedy and, and we had produced this this show and we're about to tour a a live play that we had we had written called it's me mandela strangely and um a lot of strange things (laughs) yeah there's a lot to explain but i'll just (laughs) i'll just brush over it Um, yeah yeah so so at the time when clyde and i started discussing this this concept i'd already got a had a tour booked um, starting in, in Perth for the Perth Comedy Festival, and I was going to tour that around Australia and maybe to the Edinburgh Comedy Festival. And, yeah, I don't think Mike's ever forgiven me because within about like 24 hours or 48 hours of Clyde and I sort of discussing this concept of, of, the, of the platform um, that we could build, uh, I'd called Mike up and said, look, I think I'm going to cancel the Perth Comedy Festival and, and cancel this, this show that he had co-produced and was also a performer. And, and yeah, so that, that kind of, again, my career just kind of segued rather unexpectedly in a, in a strange direction. So what, what made you make that, that decision then? Had, had you had enough or did you just need a new direction? Or? Um, it's a good question and one that I'm, I'm not entirely sure of all the reasons. I think most importantly, it seemed that building this platform was the most exciting and the most important thing I could be doing. Stand-up comedy was 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 still um, very interesting, and uh, there were some opportunities there. But yeah, I guess I guess it it's rare, I think, in life to to see an opportunity where you where it looks like there's there's something that you could do that's the most fun and important thing you can do. And, and just jumping into a, a new endeavor with my brother to build something that we thought, you know, could actually change the world um, in some way seemed just too exciting and too interesting not to pursue. Yeah, I, I think changing the world is, is a good reason for a decision. Yeah, I'm with it. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just outline what Letter actually is uh, before we get any further so people are not confused. Sure. It's um, practically it's it's a platform for thoughtful conversation. So um, two people can have a conversation via the exchange of written letters. Um, the the platform and the letters are all public, so anyone can follow along, read the conversations. Um, kind of like it's like a podcast in text form, but like a podcast, people that are reading and just following along can't engage. They can't uh, enter into the conversation. Um, only the the initial participants, the two participants, um, are the ones that can exchange the letters in that conversation. But anyone else can read it, and anyone else can start a new conversation with someone. Yeah, a good way to think about it is by way of comparison to something like Twitter. So we've often said that if Twitter is the town square where anyone can shout out anything to anyone else, then Letter is the coffee shop you would go to to have the longer form, more nuanced conversation with someone interesting. Mm. I think of it as being like a digital version of an old-fashioned letter exchange. And so it's like having a friend to whom you are writing and receiving replies 
except with with two differences. It's digital. And I think the digital thing is the fact that when people think of letter writing, they think of the the uh, physical act of writing and the materiality of the paper, the ink, the the physical action of moving the wrist, the folding of the paper, the putting on of the stamp, the walking to the post box, etc. I think that I, I know that a lot of people are nostalgic for that for the days for that. And some people feel that it's the physical act of writing by hand is important to them for organizing their thoughts. But I think that that has actually stymied people's imaginations in a way that they haven't been able to separate what it means to write a letter to someone and to receive a letter back from the physical actions and the materiality. And in fact, the physical act of writing and the materiality of the paper are not the most important things about writing letters to someone. When I receive a letter from a friend, I'm not it's not that I'm thrilled by the object of this sheet of paper. It's the conversation that we're having. It's what I am saying to them and what they are saying in return. It's knowing that I can express myself frankly to someone who is a good faith partner to that conversation who is interested in what i have to say and who will who will give me the benefit of the doubt um who is not looking specifically to catch me out or uh attack um or score points but who is going to read digest and then send back their response so that's what for me, what the real charm of an old-fashioned letter exchange is, it's not the physicality. And in fact, I think the physical things are a little restrictive. People love the romantic idea of writing physical letters, but they don't actually do it. So the upshot is no letters are happening. And I also, I personally cannot write by hand. I mean, I, I can. I'm not illiterate by hand. I can I can form letters. But I'm so unused to writing long form that it hurts my wrist. It feels really awkward. And at the end, I can barely read it myself. And so I, when I'm writing by hand, which I only really do now when I'm writing thank you letters or thank you notes, I always have this fear that the recipient may not even be able to tell what I've said to them <laughs> because my handwriting is so appalling. It looks like I went to medical school. <laughs> I could probably pass myself off as a doctor just on this on the on the strength of my handwriting. Um, so I think that digital I think people need to get past that idea that a letter must be a physical object. Mm-hmm. Um, and think about what is it that makes writing letters attractive beyond the physical which is about the content and the person you're talking to. And that all of that we can do digitally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that that's that's the interesting thing when I keep thinking about letter and, and what it could be used for. I love the sound of of what you were just saying, where you're you're speaking to somebody and there's going to be this good faith thing. They're not there to catch you out. They want to have a back and forth. There is that kind of intimate and personal thing that is, comes from a letter, which is is different to to Twitter, where people can just sort of run in and and shout something and run off again. <laughs> but then I mean. <laughs> 
if we're looking at a, a letter in this way, I mean, what could we do to sort of make sure that it, it went that way? Because one thing that worried me is that it, it could become in some ways a vehicle for, for call-out culture. When you get the open letter, that's usually because somebody is very cross with somebody else and they're demanding um, a sort of public attention to this. And so I would just want to, I don't know how to get that that atmosphere on letter where you are actually, yes, it's, um, what do they call it, um, pr- productive combat or, or something like that. I can't remember the, the term Jonathan Haidt uses. Where you, you can argue quite heatedly, but you still really do want to understand each other. You don't want mm-hmm. to denigrate each other. You want to try and, and work things out between you. I wonder what what can we do to kind of make sure that that is what happens. I think there's a few things that we're doing now that has created the culture that Letter currently has, and then there's some things we can do to ensure that it's maintained. And I think one of the key things is just having lots of examples of good faith letter exchanges on the platform tend to inform the newcomer's use of, of that platform. So this is why we see totally different cultures on different online platforms. So LinkedIn versus Twitter versus Reddit versus YouTube, they all have their own characteristics. Um, and I think what, what we've done quite well so far is only bring on people who we are confident are going to model the kinds of exchanges we want to see more of. And I think that's helped set up the trajectory that we'd like to see continue. The other thing we do, which is quite unusual, is really encourage people to use their real name and their real photograph. So I think what that tends to do is just create this impression that you're dealing with another human being. You know, I think on Twitter or YouTube, for example, when people are using pseudonyms or, you know, there's a big difference between communicating with Helen Pluckrose versus Johnny478 or some other strange made-up pseudonym. So I think that's that's part of how we are navigating around this. And then I think the other thing that we've tried to be conscious of is the longer form. You know, most abuse that occurs on the internet tends to be a couple of sentences, maybe a tweet-length thing, and then it's it's over. Now, if you're going to abuse someone on Letter, first of all, I think it's probably the worst platform to do that, just given how other people are using it and what that kind of usage might signal to the community. But the second thing is you actually have to be quite thoughtful um, because you have to write something that's at least twice twice a a tweet in length. Yeah, I was just going to add to that. So, you know, when we sat down to design the platform and think about what a platform would look like that that would uh, create and facilitate um, thoughtful, productive conversation, it occurred to us that well, this is this is kind of the norm of, of human communication. It's it's the internet that has corrupted it. Yeah, corrupted it in so many ways. And so, if you actually, you know, we went down the rabbit hole of thinking why that is. You know, why do people, you know, when you speak to someone in the street or you meet someone, or it's almost always civil and polite, and 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 or if it's via email, it can be very productive. And it, we think that um, there's a few reasons. One is, as Clyde mentioned. On many platforms, people are just acting anonymously, so they're not. There's no accountability to uh, what they say or do. And the other is uh, that uh, there could be, uh, like in Twitter, a character um, limit. So you kind of have to condense your thoughts down to like a soundbite. 
um, which, you know, it makes it difficult to have a thoughtful exchange. And then the public nature of the platform is is not just that the content's public, but that anyone, whether they're invited or welcome to that conversation or not, can jump in and derail it and, or troll the conversation. And so if you look at the way that we've designed Letter, it's different in, in all three of those ways. And we're, we're still exploring uh, more ways in which we can help guide the conversations in a productive way. I think that um, one of the ways that we do that is is we're not featuring or drawing attention to single letters. So if you want your conversation to be seen by plenty of people and potentially shared more widely, um, we're also publishing once a week. We're publishing the Letter Exchange of the Week in Ario Magazine. We've already done the first two weeks of that. We're writing, I'm writing short articles about those exchanges and their topics and directing people towards them. And what we're highlighting is letters that have been answered. So you're also, the idea is not that it's an open letter. It's not a good place to put an open letter because the idea of an open letter, especially a hostile one, is not usually so much to uh, address the specific person as to shame them. And on letter, that is not going to work because if you're writing and no one has replied, only somebody who looks up your your profile will see that letter. That's correct, yeah. So rather than seeing it under, for example, rather than looking under Dane Rathbone and seeing here are all the people who hate Dane <laughs> and <laughs> the horrible things they've said about them. You would go to say Clyde Rathbone's thing and you would see, ah, here's Clyde Rathbone's long letter about how much he hates Dane. That clearly <laughs> says something about him, not about Dane. That, that never exists, actually. <laughs> <laughs> this is not hypothetical. Um, so it's very different when it's your profile and your profile is this spew- are these spewings of hate to or when it's kind of, um, if you see what I mean, that's where we're filing the single letter. Yeah, it's, it's you know, the trolling or the abuse is people trying to do a drive-by, yeah. you know, shooting. And um, with letter, the person that you're kind of trolling or trying to um, abuse has the, the ability to respond. So as Clyde said, it's kind of the worst place to go if you wanted to, to troll someone because you could rather do it on a blog or somewhere where they couldn't reply. Yeah, there's no ramifications. Right? Um, and yeah. so anyone that reads that blog is just getting your opinion. But on letter, you know, they might read the abusive content, but if the recipient is like, well, uh, wants to reply to that and give their side of the story, they can do Yes, so. exactly. So first of all, they get a chance to defend themselves. And secondly, mm-hmm. they can choose just not to reply. And then your letter is not likely to be much read. And when it is read, it'll be read in the context of you, who you are, rather than in the context of who they are. I hope I'm making myself clear in that. It's like I've, for a little while, somebody was sending me abusive emails, someone I know in real life. And I forwarded the emails to her boyfriend. And that was the end of the emails. He wasn't inter- he didn't even know who I was. You know, he wasn't interested in what the email said about me. He was only interested in what they said about her. So I think that that if you write abuse on letter, the, the person whose good name will be harmed is, is yours. 
I should say this is very academic because so far we've had no no abuse, and the platform just does not encourage it. And I think that this is the way to go, not to try to police what people are saying, but to nudge them. Exactly. Yeah. And I've just been reading、uh, Sunstein and Taller's classic book, which is called、uh, Nudge. Have you guys read that? Oh, no, no. Oh, it's it's fun. I think it was published about ten years ago, but it's a fantastic book. Cass Sunstein and Richard Taylor. I'll put it in the show notes. But it's called "Nudge: Improving Decisions About Health, Wealth, and Happiness."、Mm-hmm. Oh, it was published in two thousand and eight. So I was right, almost exactly ten years ago.、Mm-hmm. But nudges are extremely, extremely effective.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't have to force people. In fact, it can be counterproductive to try to force them. You just line up the incentives correctly so that they are much more likely to choose the option that you want them to choose.、Yeah. And on Twitter, there you you are rewarded for being snarky. <laughs> you are rewarded for blocking somebody, screenshotting them, and then quote tweeting it to your friends <laughs> with some really nasty remark, completely misrepresenting、uh, <laughs> them. <laughs> Without them even being able to respond, you can get thousands of likes doing that.、Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can't on Letter. That's so、uh, you you just don't have the same incentive on Letter. The incentive you have on Letter is that you can have these long and meaningful exchanges with other people,、mm-hmm. and to do that, you have to persuade them that you're the kind of person that they want to write to and talk to. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, as you said, you know, we we haven't had to moderate a single letter. So I think the plan going forward for us from this mitigating abuse on on the platform is just to kind of be vigilant and, and make sure that we don't start to see any patterns emerging. And so far, so good. Yeah, I, I've been pleasantly surprised. I have to say, because when I、um, I signed up and I, I did a couple of of letters, I was wondering because I, I have.、Um, Some rather committed、um, stalkers who I've had to block in、um, many, many forms, including one who has cloned、um, members of my family's、um, Facebook accounts and things. I did wonder if some of them were going to to turn up, but、um, but none none of them have. It, I'm I'm really quite sort of surprised by that. I keep thinking somebody is going to come and and just have a, a barrage of of abuse at some point, and they're not. It just doesn't seem like they they see letter as a way to do that. And I, yeah, long may that continue. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's it's inevitable. You know, you add human beings to any system, and they'll find some way to to ruin ruin it. You know, but yeah, as as、um, Iona was saying that. The design of the platform and the culture that that gets established there can have a tremendous impact on on, on what happens, and I, I think you know people aren't worried about certain technologies. You know, people aren't worried that you know the telephone you know could be used for trolling as much as say Twitter, and it's because that the technology is is it's inherently facilitates certain types of of use, and so you know, letter already we have like a, a minimum. A word count for letters that's,、um, that we're playing with, and、um, we, we're designing the, the platform such that anyone that does go in there to, to use it abusively、um, is going to have a much less satisfying experience than they would on, say, Twitter. At the moment, the mi- minimal word count is one sort of average length paragraph, 
one kind of meaty-ish paragraph length, which is the perfect length in which to ask a thoughtful question, giving some examples. So if you want to begin an exchange with someone, you don't have to begin with a fully formed thesis. It's one of the other things that I like about it. You don't have to write write an article on a topic. You don't have to organize your thoughts and plan and it doesn't have to be a dissertation. You can just begin with a single question or remark and then you can take it from there. And the other person will reply, then you all reply. So it's an ongoing conversation. You don't have to make all of your points at once and give some comprehensive account of all your thoughts on this topic like you would probably try to do if you were writing an article. You can just throw out an interesting ball and wait for it to return. Yeah, there's two ways that we're seeing letter being used. One is, um, as we talked about earlier, which is the kind of uh, adversarial collaboration where two people with different viewpoints are arguing or debating, but for the purpose of trying to discover what's true. And then there's um, a more exploratory type of conversation, which might be someone interviewing um, an expert in some area and trying to learn about uh, what what they know. It's interesting that you pick up those those two because I can, I can see that happening as well. I am very much a person who is going to want to talk to someone with a different idea to be very precise, to be very orderly. We're going to try and get to, to truth between us, whereas Iona is much more of a sort of um, exploratory and let's see where this goes style person. And I think letter does facilitate both of those. Yeah, I was going to say the first two conversations that we've already published articles about in ARIO um, exemplify that. So the first one is David Sloan Wilson and Massimo Piliucci, who are having a, a quite confrontational in a way. I mean, just friendly. It's just still friendly. <laughs> it's a little sharp, sharp edged in places. Debate about human cultural evolution and then the second one that we featured is my conversation with Gurwinder Bogal, and Gurwinder and I are ruminating on the topic of memory and identity. And that's right. I don't, in general, I don't do confrontation. I don't, I don't do debate, whereas Helen it, it does debate very, very well indeed. So those are, those are two, two modes. And I think the third mode, possible mode is interview talking to, finding someone whose work you really enjoy, who's willing to talk to you on letter, and then asking them thoughtful questions and having enough, letter gives you kind of enough space to get their feedback. And I think that that's, you can write a, like a, a short mini critique of their work and have them respond to it. So you can get a kind of interview going with someone who is an expert in a particular topic or just who you find very interesting. And you can use that for mentoring and advice also. Podcasting as a technology has uh, created a, a new um, type of career. You know, you get people like uh, Joe Rogan and Sam Harris and, and others who um, have built a, uh, a career on, on podcasting and, and interviewing people. And we think that there's potential for the same thing to happen on letter in the written form. Yeah, absolutely. It would be so fun to build a career around writing letters to people. 
I was just going to say that I, I think we're at the, the really quite exciting um, moment for Letter at the moment because we just don't know where it's going to go, do we? There's there's so many branches and so many uses and we've only found sort of a handful of them at the moment. I'm I'm interested in a lot of the people that, that are talking back and forth that I'm, I'm watching. They're the academics and they... I, I see this kind of snowballing thing happen where one of them begins by keeping their words within the single letter thing, but then the other one feels the need to reply with about five, and then the other person will then need to address all of those points in about ten. So I think you could end up, you know, almost um, almost writing a book between them um, on this if they have conversations that, that go on and on. And I don't know, are, are you going to try to to kind of get different types of, of people in there so that it, so that a letter doesn't get sort of pigeonholed as, as too academic and people don't feel intimidated and that it's not for them if they want to have a more down-to-earth conversation? Yeah, I think that's actually really crucial. You know, Dane and I are not academics. Um, we're interested in a lot of the subject matters that are being discussed on the platform, but it's really important to us that there's something of value on letter for anyone who's curious about any subject matter. So over time... We want it to be a place that hosts a huge array of different conversations covering every topic you could imagine and having something thoughtful to say about each of them. And we're starting now with this relatively academic community because, A, they're very comfortable producing long-form content um, and they're naturally thoughtful. So those, those two features that we want to encourage are being exemplified by the academics. But... Over time, we really want to make sure that we don't pigeonhole the platform. Um, and, you know, we're really starting to see some conversations that are a bit more mainstream. So about parenthood, um, about health and well-being, things that are easier to digest than some highly esoteric niche subject matter between two domain experts. Hmm. Yeah, that, that sounds good. I'd, I'd be interested in reading some of those as well. I think the other advantage, you know, we talked a bit about people building careers via podcasts and how that's just exploded in the last, feels like, five to ten years. But one of the advantages on having an exchange in writing is that you don't have to form your thoughts on the spot. You know, like right now we're having this conversation. I have to think about what I'm going to say and reply in seconds. On a letter, you know, I can... I've got more breathing room to really flesh out what I think I think and to put that in such a way that I'm happy with. You know, I I write much better than I tend to speak and I really prefer to have the time and the breathing room to form my, form my thoughts. So a letter exchange could go on for days or weeks or even months and there's not that pressure to come up with something smart instantaneously. Yeah, just um, on to continue that is that one of the uh, plans that we have for letter down the line is that people we want people to be able to have conversations via the the written letters, but we want the audience to be able to listen to the the letter in in audio. Um, so the AI, uh, the current state of AI is um, proving at a very rapid pace uh, with regards to text to speech, and there's there's a startup now that allows you to train train the AI in your own voice. Um, so it takes like a minute and then it can speak in your own voice. And, you know, it's still a bit clunky, but it's, it's pretty good. And uh, so in the next few years, we're hoping to 
to roll that out so that writers can, you know, have have their letters spoken in their own voice. Wow. <laughs> I don't know what to think about that. <laughs> Maybe we could also just give them the option to record also, to upload recordings that are their own actual voice. Yeah. I don't trust any computer to get my voice right. <laughs> That's what I think. I knew you'd be thinking that as well. They could put the emphasis on the wrong syllable or something. No, that's exactly. not what I wanted to express. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think um, it's going to be interesting the next five years with like the deep fake stuff and where the internet is heading. Being able to pass nonsense from truth is only going to get more difficult. This is kind of one of the great ironies of the internet is that people thought once we had this open lines of communication that we would all kind of converge around the big questions and in many ways the opposite's happened and this echo chambers and this misinformation and the whole sort of fake news phenomenon it's it's fascinating space to be in because i think we're we are at a fork in the road moment now in human history when it comes to information and to be part of what we hope is a solution is it's encouraging, but it's it's also kind of daunting because it's the technology almost always moves faster than our ethics mm. can keep pace with. Talking of speed and pace, that that's one of the things that most struck me when I was first talking to you guys about it. I can't remember which of you said this, but that it's it's like a kind of uh, letters is the sort of social media equivalent of a slow food movement. So Twitter is your McDonald's. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I think that there is something very, just to take Twitter for a moment, but I do want to talk about, I think we should talk about other social media platforms too and how they are different from Letter and why. Um, but uh, since Twitter is my area, area of expertise, <laughs> that thing will kill me. <laughs> it's uh, the... I mean, you don't have to, of course, um, create this this direct link between the firing of your neurons and your fingers moving on the keyboard. Um, you don't have you you can you can, in theory, um, have a gap between thinking and tweeting, in theory, but <laughs> in practice, I have never ever done that. I don't think I have ever even read over a tweet once before pressing send. And in particular, you, once you're in... You the tweet so fast, you get banned because Twitter picks you up as a bot. It doesn't think anyone can tweet that fast. <laughs> yes, a couple of times Twitter banned me for being a bot because apparently my typing speed is faster than a human, than normal human typing speed. Oh, wow. That's also I have so many typos. A bot would not make that many typos, <laughs> or or type such, <laughs> such nonsense. <laughs> but I I I feel that I mean maybe I'm a little extreme in that kind of fast reactiveness. But the length of tweets and the kind of way in which tweet conversations happen really encourages you to shoot first and ask questions later. It really encourages this mm -hmm. very fast dialogue, which is mostly a not very thoughtful dialogue. And not only that, but it gives you this false sense of not really time not really having passed. 
in my article on letter, I compared this to mm. an old flatmate of mine when I was at college who was an alcoholic, but he only ever drank miniatures. So he would go and he would buy and he would drink 20 mm. miniatures in a night. And um, later when he moved out to the flat, we found that the entire area underneath his bed was full of bin bags and they were all full of miniature, empty miniature bottles. Yeah, exactly. And I can, I can understand his thinking perfectly, unfortunately, that there's this illusion that it's just one little tiny bottle. You know, it's just one dainty little drink. It's hardly anything. You know, it's like a little acorn worth, you know, it's a little thimble worth fit for a fairy. But then once you've drunk 12 of those, it's actually quite a lot. But it doesn't feel as much as if you took hold of some hulking bottle and, and drank from that and could see the level actually going down. And on Twitter, I feel it's the same way. Oh, you're just reading a tiny little tweet here. You're just tweeting a tiny little thing there. Um, and I was talking to one person about it and I said, why don't you put these thoughts into into a letter or into an article? And he said, well, that would take ages. And this conversation is going to take me <laughs> 10 minutes at the most. And literally two and a half hours later, he was ah. still engaged in this battle, a tweet battle. <laughs> Everyone's familiar with that feeling of, um, you know, you open your phone and you just start kind of scrolling through whatever feed. And the next thing you know, you've been in like a time warp and it's, you know, half an hour later and you're like, what, what's happened? Yeah. That's kind of part of the reason that, you know, Claude and I have started letters. We, it was one of the problems that we identified with, with the internet is that you spend so much of your life on these platforms and it, and when you reflect on it, it really doesn't feel like it's been time well spent. You know, you haven't, you haven't expanded your ideas or it's just, it's just not useful. Yeah. And, how many uh, people are going to lie on their deathbed wishing they'd written just one more tweet? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one more tweet about some weird thing that doesn't really matter. <laughs> so, so one of the things that, you know, uh, that we want to achieve with letter is that when people reflect on the time they've spent there, either in conversation or, or reading and following a conversation, that they feel that that was time, time well spent. We really discussed a lot about making sure that letter was a deliberate platform, that you know, it's a minimalist design. There's not all this other stuff going on there. You're not getting bombarded with banner ads and likes and hearts and a constant change in the feed. You really want it to be a place that is mindful so that when you go on there to write, those small nudges that you're talking about, Iona, are the ones that are more innate. You know, When you get into a letter and you really start to flesh out your thoughts, it's an incredibly rewarding experience. And it's one that we're often denied on the other platforms because of just the short form nature and the I guess the culture of those platforms, you're trying to be witty or snarky or pointed and and those are the kinds of things that you get rewarded for. And letter, you don't have those external rewards and they're not built into the platform there. You have to earn it. And, you know, the, the analogy that we've often used in talking about long-form writing is, is the, by comparison to something like yoga, 
And if I describe yoga to someone who'd never heard of it and never done it and said, look, you're going to go into a small room with a bunch of sweaty strangers, you're going to hold some strange positions for an agonizingly long period of time, <laughs> and an hour and a half later you walk out with a big smile on your face, it sounds crazy. <laughs> Um, mm, and long form mm. writing can be a bit like that, you know, to, to start mm. is the hardest thing, but once you're actually into it, it's incredibly interesting and rewarding. And I think we need to remind people of that. I think we kind of, we've lost touch with that because our lives have become so built around instant gratification and the short form and the soundbite nature of, of the platforms that exist. So there's that, that very sort of, um, chemical thing going on, doesn't it? I mean, uh, there's, there's a very sort of genuine problem of a kind of addiction to the the forums in which you put something out quickly, you get a lot of responses to it, you get this little dopamine hit, and it is actually addictive. I think it would be difficult to get addicted to letter. And if you wanted to actually get out there and talk about things with people and you you knew you were the kind of person who... um, who had who had that kind of problem? Who was who was likely to get uh, addicted to, to scrolling, to tweeting, to being answered, to the rest of it? I, I, I think um, that that's a good. Another... I I don't know anyone like that. No, me I, neither. I can't think oh, of poor things, whoever they are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think also the thing also is first of all, there's a satisfaction, there's innate satisfaction in focus, in being in the moment. And it's something that we don't have enough of in our lives. And I certainly know that feeling very strongly from dance. Mm. Um, That dancing is one of the few times when I feel like I am completely and effortlessly focused. Mm -hmm. And I notice that, for example, if I'm dancing, I never cough when I'm dancing. Hmm. Even if I have a cold and I have the urge to cough, you don't have the urge to cough whilst you're dancing. Hmm. And also, if you're bitten by a mosquito, you don't have the urge to scratch your mosquito bite Hmm. when you're dancing. How weird is that? Hmm. It's a very complete moment of focus and um, chick chick sent me high and flow. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, we, we, you know, letter writing is, in a way, it's, it's kind of a meditation uh, with someone else, you, you're meditating on a particular idea um, with another individual, and, and yeah, it's, it's like anything. You know, anything that's worth doing is, is going to be at least a little bit difficult. Um, you know, whether it is actually meditating or doing yoga or or whatever. And I think letter writing is, a, is another form of that. But it's those are the things that end up being rewarding and valuable. But it's also it also gives you the pleasure, the same pleasure you have when you write an article of having done. So there's a pleasure in doing. And when you're on Twitter, you might have that pleasure in doing. But afterwards, do you really feel when you look back at it, do you have any pleasure in having done? Do you have anything that is there that you can look at and say, I'm pleased that I achieved that in that hour? Usually not. This is a problem with dancing also. Sometimes you have video, but mostly not. That That is the other side of, of what we need for fulfillment is we need meaning and meaning comes from having done something. And when I, when I look at letter and I look at the collection of 
exchanges that I've been having with people, I already feel as though it's almost like a body of work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of course, you can share it elsewhere or publish it elsewhere mm-hmm. or write about it elsewhere. You can use that to create an article, yes. but it's much less effort than writing an article. Mm-hmm. It's more pleasurable, but you still look back and you see your thoughts organized there in this very pleasing form. Mm. You touched on something that Dan and I spent a lot of time talking about, which is just like the it's the longer term value of the content. You know, even if there's a really interesting exchange on something like Twitter or Facebook, trying to find that content six months from now or six years from now, it's very difficult. You know, I'm very excited about the idea that someone is going to find my letters. You know, my, my grandkids or their kids are going to be able to read my letter exchanges mm-hmm. hundreds of years into the future. And there's a, the, the value is much more persistent on something like letter than on platforms where the content isn't very well organized and it's just more kind of ephemeral. So, mm. Well, we already know that with physical letters, that even letters that were fairly banal, they don't have to be incredibly profound, philosophical, abstruse, or, you know, it doesn't have to be two experts exploring a topic together. Even quite quite casual letters, people really treasure them, and partly in a fetishistic way, because a talismanic way, shall we say, um, Fetishistic sounds a little harsh, but, um, you know, partly as, uh, as physical objects, but partly also for what is said within the letters. Yeah, you, you do feel like you're connecting, you know, even as a reader, and I read conversations on the platform, I'm getting a really unique insight into the correspondence, something in a way that I, I really can't get easily any other way. You know, it's noticing what people talk about, understanding it about their background, um, even just the, the writing itself. You know, you're constantly getting these little cues that they do leave you with a sense of connection that, that you don't often find um, elsewhere. I think the connection is the, other, is, is the other important part of it because you can, in theory, use Facebook also to write very long and thoughtful statuses. And um, mm-hmm. what I, I do, I really use Facebook only maybe a couple of times a month at most, maybe once a month more likely. Mm. And when I do, I write, it's because there is a long piece that I want to write. There is something on my mind that I want to write about in a way that is intimate and raw and personal and but at some length. And I'll actually link to one of those because some of them I I collected into a blog. Um, And I write those as Facebook statuses. So I I have been known to write very long statuses that are basically essays. But I don't know many other people, first of all, who use Facebook in that way. Most people write quite short statuses and at best they're witty and at worst they're just kind of throwaway. Or they're just, they use it like Google. It's, can anybody tell me does anyone know of a good restaurant here in Buenos Aires? We want to eat Mexican food on a Friday night or something. But when I write on um, Facebook, 
I don't know who is going to respond or not respond. And there's a certain anxiety that because I write very personal, raw and long and intimate statuses, I pour my heart out on there at times. I'm sort of waiting to see if anybody read it. Did anybody like it or heart it? Um, did anyone comment or not? It, I have this feeling of putting a letter into a bottle and sending it out uh, into the ocean to be carried hither and thither. And I think that it's there's something very different and comforting and humanizing. And I think this is also part of how the platform will nudge most people towards very civil and thoughtful conversation. I really believe that just through the format itself, we won't have to nag them or coax them or whatever else. The format itself will do that job. There's something very reassuring, comforting, and, and nice to know that some that the letter is specifically addressed to someone. That person will read it, and they're going to reply. Mm -hmm. And they're going to reply with more than just a single click, more than just like a thumbs up or a heart that took them mm -hmm. one millisecond to click on. <laughs> yeah. And that's very... There's something very nice about that. And I think that it is also, it really helps people to express themselves clearly because I think being an editor, I've noticed that one of the things that most stymies people when they're trying to write is that they don't know who their audience is. So their tone is all, o yeah. is all over the place or they're really condescending mm -hmm. and or, or overly flippant or aggressive or, um, you know, they just don't really have a vision of who they're writing for, who they're talking to. Mm. But on letter, you know who you're talking to. Mm. And that, I think, really helps you to frame your thoughts when you know who you're addressing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's always difficult to write a new piece um, when you're just kind of writing to the void. And, uh, you know, one of the techniques um, that I would, I would sometimes use uh, with my stand-up was I would imagine trying to make one of my friends laugh and, uh, and I just kind of imagine them being in the audience um, when I was writing and that would help because, yeah, like everyone's got a different sense of humor. And if you're trying to, you know, write something that's going to make everyone laugh or not offend anyone, um, that's, that's really difficult. And, uh, yeah, just focusing in, honing in on one person's experience um, is useful. Yeah, I think when you're writing with someone, you're, you're investing in each other. You know, you know that you're... I'm making this commitment to explore this subject matter or this person. And there's a sense of collaboration right from the outset. I've had similar experiences to you, Iona, and writing on other platforms. And it does feel a bit like you're just shouting out into the void. And at some point, you do realize that on something like, say, Facebook, it, it does seem true that nobody cares as much about the content that you write as you do. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I guess it's almost like we've all been trained to be selfish on that platform to some extent. Whereas I know when I'm writing a letter to someone that they, they're they going to care as much, if not more, about this content. And we get to explore it together. And, and yeah, you're going on a bit of a journey with someone else to see where it leads. And it's rare to come out of that experience and not feel like it was some of the highest quality time I spent on the internet. Mm. 
I agree. And it lacks that performative aspect, uh, which makes Twitter so gladiatorial. You know, Twitter is this jousting ring platform, but also which I think really poisons things like Instagram. I actually, um, I use Instagram a lot. I post my own photo there and then I instantly log out because if I scroll Instagram, I get so uh, depressed because everyone else's life is so much more glamorous and successful than mine. It makes me feel really in a, and, you know, envious in a horrible way. And I kind of both hate other people and I hate myself for hating them. It's, it's you know, it's a <laughs> mental health problem waiting to happen or, or already having happened, at least in my case. <laughs> <laughs> it really encourages this curated, perfectionistic sort of thing, I would say. Yeah, everyone's kind of promoting the idealized version of their life. And, you know, I think it's it's pretty obvious that the Instagram version of a person is unlikely to accurately capture their moment-to-moment experience. <laughs> yeah. Right, so letter is going to be the place of um, of authenticity, of, of thoughtfulness, of, of honesty then, is it? Is that what we want? Yeah, I mean, I think, so, yeah. I think that's, that's where... The platform is now, and as Dan and I have said previously, it's really important for us to keep cultivating that that culture and bring people on board who who care about those values. And I think there's a lot of them out there, and they they just need to be aware that a, a platform like ours exists. And I think they need to be nudged to get over that initial barrier. Um, to do something new, you know, if you haven't written a letter in a long time, um, it is diving back into, and I know for me, I don't think I'd written letters since I was in high school and that was because I was forced to. <laughs> so it was, it was nice to be able to go back and reconnect with something that it is, it seems inherently valuable to, to connect and communicate with someone in that way. Mm. Okay, so if if Twitter is the place of of war and Instagram is is the place of glamorized ideals and Facebook is the place of self indulgence, then we'll have uh, have Letter as the place of honest introspection and um, intellectual exchanges. That sounds good to me. I think we can say it better than that. Yeah, I'll steal that. Thanks, Helen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go to the place of war for a moment now and. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> And just um, among the centurions there, a few people have sent in questions for you guys. Um, I think actually you probably have already answered some of these questions, but it might, might be nice to look at some of the others. So L West asks, what are your long-term goals with Letter and who is your target market? Um, our, our mission is to advance the quality and impact of conversation. And I guess our vision is that Letter would be the home of, of thoughtful conversation on the internet, that, you know, you can log in to Twitter or visit the homepage and there's, there's just interesting things. Letter. <laughs> what did I say? Twitter. <laughs> well, you know, that would be nice too. Um, yeah, and, and, and just be able to read um, and learn um, interesting things. Um, you know, as, as I mentioned previously, we want to 
we're starting with these written letters, but I think that conversations in any medium um, are, are valuable, like podcasts, and we want that all to be part of letter as well. Podcasts are very, very valuable, folks. <laughs> yeah. was, was there another part to that question? Yes. Or is who, who are your target audience? Your target? It's everyone with an internet connection, really. I, I, I think anyone who's curious and wants to learn or wants to engage, and that's a lot of people. Elle also asked something which I was wondering, which is whether you had any role models in mind when you started this. Um, you both mentioned Joe Rogan. I've been heavily influenced by Sam Harris's work. Um, and, you know, it's hard to fully capture what a profound impact his writing and his podcast has had on me. You know, I didn't didn't go to university um, we left high school, went straight into professional sport and didn't really feel as though the curiosity that I had was adequately addressed by traditional education. Um, you know, just wanted to be outside and moving and, and doing physical activity when I was in high school. And kind of it always felt like a bit of a gap there. And then finding Sam's work and, and then following his podcast the last few years, it, is, it really does feel as though it, that's represented an important rung on the ladder of my intellectual life. And you know, having someone who is just curious about lots of different things and can speak eloquently about all, a whole range of topics and have access to guests like he has. It's, um, yeah, Sam is someone who who's influenced me greatly and... Um, Actually, Dane and I spoke about, you know, being able to reach out to people via email and receive these long, thoughtful replies was one of the reasons we built Letter. You know, I reached out to a few people that could be considered public intellectuals and was really shocked when they not just responded, but responded with, in great detail. And I thought, you know, there must be a lot of people like me who have similar questions, but really I'm the only one who's benefiting from this exchange. If this was a public platform, a lot more people would, would stand to benefit. So, Yeah, yeah I, I feel the same. Clyde and I share a deep love for Sam Harris. <laughs> um, and yeah, Clyde mentioned, you know, we I actually had a brief email exchange with Sam some years ago. And um, yeah, it was like astounded by the generosity um, you know, that you would take the time to write a, a thoughtful reply. And, um, you know, Clyde had, had an email exchange uh, with Peter Bogosian. And, yeah, like there's, there's just a lot of wisdom out there that, that could be unlocked by making their conversations public. Mm. I think it has this, I feel, with Sam Harris's podcast, and the same could be true of Letter too, that it has this dual benefit on the one hand, you are the to the topics that Sam discusses are interesting, but on the other hand, the way that he models conversation, mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. that's what I like the most, and it's why I am I don't follow the podcast as closely uh, anymore as I used to, but it was so important to me at a certain point in my life, mm -hmm. um, and what was important to me was to see. And it was something that I had not seen talking to my friends or in people's Facebook exchanges. Mm. 
I actually think Facebook, when it comes to discussing politics, even though on Facebook you're not anonymous, Facebook is more toxic than Twitter mm. because mm. Facebook is populated for most people by people they know in real life, by their actual friends and family and colleagues and acquaintances and friends of friends. And so when a comment is barbed or an exchange becomes heated, there is so much at stake. Mm. And I have seen people's real life friendships ruined uh, mm. over Facebook. Mm. So on Twitter, I'm happy to spar with people because most of these people I don't actually know. But on F Facebook, if I see a political, any kind of political post uh, or argument happening, I run a mile from that. <laughs> I run an absolute mile. I just, uh, it can, it can get so nasty mm. and it's, the repercussions are so terrible. Mm. There's so much friendly fire on, on Facebook that I, actually I think Twitter is better in that way. Hmm. Someone trolls you on Twitter and then, you know, two hours later you've forgotten about it. But on Facebook, the person who's written a snarky, nasty comment could be somebody you thought was a real genuine friend. Mm. Don't yeah. mess with that. <laughs> That's what's so important about conversations being had in good faith. You know, one of the reasons that um, I just talked about Sam Harris, one of the reasons I, I really respect him is because I discovered him through his uh, debates on, on atheism and, and religion. And he was always, you know, very um, adversarial, but it was never, it, it was always done in good faith. It was always about trying to discover and, and convince other people of what, what is true. Yeah, it didn't, it didn't ever seem like it was sport. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and he's, you know, he's actually had a lot of um, very difficult conversations in text via email that he's then published on, on his blog. And so while that wasn't a um, overt or explicit uh, motivation for creating Letter, I'm sure it was influential in our thinking because yeah. we've gained a lot of value from, um, from those conversations being made public. Exactly, and, yeah. and we can just see the value there. Yeah. It's, you know, I, I listened to the conversation that Sam Harris had with uh, Ezra Klein. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I read that email exchange. And that was one of his more hostile conversations. Mm -hmm. yeah. And the basis of that conversation was an article with a very accusatory title, which was published in, in Fox mm -hmm. um, under Klein's editorship or with his approval, or mm -hmm. um, I can't remember the exact details, but Klein was involved. Mm -hmm. And I was walking around the Sri Lankan, small Sri Lankan town in the dark, listening to this on my headphones. And I found it just so, there was something deeply comforting and inspiring about the way that they, these two people who were uh, in many senses at loggerheads, were nevertheless able to have such a civil conversation. Mm -hmm. Not a warm or affectionate conversation, you know, not like we are now best buddies forever yeah. style conversation, but there was just a level of civility and understanding there mm. that uh, com compared to the, the amount of ideological distance between them that was very inspiring to me. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, and we need more of that, you know. If we're going to solve big problems, we need to we need to be at the table together to discuss hmm. them. And I think that's part of what's so concerning about the 
digital landscape now is how easy it is for conversation to be shut down. Um, and, you know, Helen, you can speak to this probably better than any of us, but it does seem as though we had a, a very strange time in online discourse where your the colour of your skin or your ethnicity or your nationality or your sex, your gender can be weaponized against you in a way that doesn't actually expand the conversation. Yeah, there's certainly an, an awful lot of um, of talking past each other. If um, if somebody's trying to talk from a kind of universally liberal point of view, where they think that um, that we can we can exchange ideas and, and arguments should be um, valued on their merits, and they're then speaking to somebody else who's just going to respond, but you don't have any insight on this because you're white or a man. That's the kind of thing that just completely shuts down conversation. And I just don't think a letter would be any good for that kind of person who who didn't value the exchange of ideas. So it's, um, oh, it could even become a kind of safe space. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm all in favour of safe spaces, as long as an entire university is not a safe space. (laughs) I think safe spaces are a great thing. It's uh, freedom of association, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, letter really this kind of one-on-one conversation, um, which is not performative, that I think is really helpful. So in Twitter, so much of discourse is first you put your the person you're talking to or about. I think we talk about each other on Twitter much more than we talk to each other. People have entire arguments and quote tweets, and I'm guilty of this too. So, you know, the person will, I will quote tweet something silly that you said on my timeline and all of my followers will applaud my snarky comment and will kind of egg me on and be my cheerleaders. And then you will take that and you will quote tweet it on your timeline and your followers will like your snark in return and and cheerlead you. So, you know, neither of us are talking to each other. We're each talking Mm -hmm. to our followers using the other person's remarks as 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 a kind of accessory for our own narcissism. Mm, a springboard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it makes it impossible to follow the conversation as well. There are mm. lots of conversations that I would actually like to follow on Twitter, but I can't because half of the things were quote tweets and then there were quote tweets from this thread, that thread. And, you know, mm. you, you, you would have to click 800 times to be able to work out mm. who said what when. And yeah, I'm particularly guilty of that, aren't I? I have to admit. Yeah. <laughs> well, me too. I do it too. Mike Nano, who's, who's also actually part of the team at Letter, um, he he, you know, he compares uh, social media like Twitter and Facebook to uh, the story. Is it a Greek story of um, narcissus? Um, where narcissus? Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah, where he kind of falls in love with his reflection. In, in the pond, uh, he looks at himself and, and becomes obsessed. Mm-hmm. And it and that's where the um, the word like um, narcissism obviously comes from, but um, also nar- narcotics, drugs that kind of stupefy us and, and subdue us. And Mike, who, who loves looking at like the trends in culture and, and he sees that these social platforms are kind of like a mirror um, for us where we're just staring at ourselves. You know, we, we look at our tweets and we look at the likes and things that we've got and it's a kind of self-obsession, even though, 
you know, ostensibly you're, you're kind of conversing with other people, but really it's, it's all about you and you're building this profile and um, becoming obsessed with yourself. And it's, and we're all falling into this stupor. And then every now and then we wake up from it and we'll be like, Oh, I've spent another two hours kind of wasting time on there. And, it's it's just not a good it's, just, it's such a waste of human potential. Uh, I think there's just because I know we've we've been doing a lot of beating up on the other platforms. It's just occurred to me that you know we all use them. And, <laughs> uh, I think there's <laughs> regrettably. <laughs> no, I think there's real benefits to them. Mm. It's just that they're they're particular tools, and if you use them appropriately, I think they're they're useful. Mm. Um, but the mm. problem is mm. that the values of the platforms are often misaligned with the values of the users. And that tension comes about because of the the financial model at play. You know, advertising mm-hmm. is all really based on attention. So they know mm-hmm. if they can upset you, cause some sort of outrage, mm-hmm. um, that you're going to stick around longer. Mm-hmm. And you know, this mm-hmm. is one of the mm-hmm. things that we talk about a lot is, you know, we Letter is a, it's a for-profit company and we need to make sure that we don't fall into the pitfalls of the Facebooks and the Twitters, mm. but we also need to make sure that we have something that's monetizable. Um, mm. And, you know, we, we want to make sure that if you spend an hour a week on Letter, that you come away going, that was actually the best time I spent online this week. Mm. And it's mm. happy for people to use it less frequently, but to have the value of that time um, increased. And it's something that I think that, we all need to do in general. It's the Cal Newport calls this deep work mm-hmm. that and people have become used to multitasking and sort of frittering time away into tiny little mm. tiny little crumbs. Mm. You know, I'll work on this article for 10 minutes and then I'll look at Twitter, you know, here. <laughs> and mm. now I'll watch this YouTube video and then I'll make lunch and then I'll do a little bit of this reading, etc. Mm. I'm I've become very guilty of that. And I used to be someone whose focus was so uh, deep that I would, you know, things on the stove would burn and hmm. phones would ring un, un, not, not only unanswered, but not even heard. <laughs> and it's really rare for me to be in that state anymore, except mm-hmm. when I'm dancing. Mm-hmm. And I partly because I'm getting older and I think my brain is deteriorating from a already not, not very gr- high stage of functioning um, to begin with. I but think it's all also, right, Diana. I, I think that, <laughs> well, you know, there's another, another at least year and a half in me still, oh, in me yet. So <laughs> I'll use it carefully before I become a total old crone. But, you know, if, if we used our time more wisely, we would both get more work done and have more free time. Mm. Yeah, yeah. If we took, if, you know, the blocks were longer blocks and they were more, and we were just more conscious of choosing mm-hmm. um, what we were doing. It's, it's so hard, isn't it? Because, um, you know, I've, uh, for, for most of Karma's development, I've been um, working a lot on the design of the platform and things like that, where I, I can sort of get into deep work. But now that the, the platform's built and we're kind of focusing on building this community, I spend a lot of my time on Twitter and on Facebook, you know, messaging people and communicating with our our writers and things like that. And if, if you're working on those platforms, it's it's yeah. almost impossible to, Oof. yeah, yeah. Like, 
I, I just you get you know, sucked down. I get into, sucked into, into these things, and I'm like, the next day I'm watching a video of like <laughs> some yeah. stupid thing, and I'm like, ah, oh, the days the are gone again. Are incredibly powerful, and I guess the more you feed them, the smarter they get. Yeah, and they just eventually yeah. work you out. And like, yeah. okay, if I put this in front of Dane Rathbone, <laughs> yeah. like, that'll equal five minutes. Yeah, and at the end yeah. of that five minutes, I'll place this in front of him. Yeah, and like, you know, next thing you know, you've, you've like, whittled away a day. Billions of dollars being spent on the best possible way to capture someone's attention and yeah. hold it. And that's how they make their money. And yeah. it's so hard. Yeah. Mm. I wish there were a way to switch off your notifications. I don't mean to just uh, filter them, which I already do. Mm. So I already only see notifications from certain people, but mm. I would like to not see my notifications at all. Mm. I to open up on that little bell icon thing to not have any number next to it. Mm. So you could still see people's comments if you went to your actual tweet mm. Mm. and open it up and read them, but there would be nothing there when you're messaging someone or or something that you wouldn't see the, this little number of the bell getting higher and higher. When I had it unfiltered, each time I switched on, it would say 99 plus mm. <laughs> as the notifications. Yeah. And now I filtered it just says... 20 plus or something but yeah. you can see you can see the kind of counter going up in real time yeah um and that's just so distracting we, we can probably help you uh, get rid of that uh i know, I know money should extension for his browser that allows you Ooh. to like hide certain elements so maybe after this call we'll set you up with, with that fix <laughs> Oh, wow. Yes, please. Please do. But something, <laughs> something I wanted to talk about was um, uh, how Claude and I are planning to um, try and navigate this, um, what is it, this uh, tension problem, tension between um, trying to monetize the platform, but also remain pure to, to the values uh, of the platform. And as Claude mentioned, you know, one of the reasons that other social platforms tend to go down this this path where they just try and grab your attention for as much as possible is because um, to make money and maximize their profit, which they they are beholden to their shareholders to do, those uh, uh, motivations are often in conflict with the motivations of their users. So, you know, like you want to not see your notification count going up while you're trying to use the platform, but they, their advertisers um, and the shareholders do want your attention on there as long as possible. And it's usually the shareholders and the profit motive that's going to win. So something that we're exploring uh, with Letter is to create a, um, a crypto token that will represent some share of the company. And that will be automatically distributed to our community of writers so that people that are producing the actual content and the value on the platform will automatically earn a share of equity um, in the company. And that way, our shareholders and our community will will be the same people to some extent, and that will force us, I guess, yeah, to, to make... Yeah, should, should offset some of these problems. That, yeah, that sounds like a brilliant idea. Yeah, yeah it's, it's lovely. early stages, um, and we need to flesh it out, but it should be technically possible. Um, it's just a case of building it, yeah. so... You know, Monish isn't here, but uh, he'll be doing the hard yards. Yeah, one man tech team. There's uh, some other <laughs> higher priority bugs to yeah, fix at the moment, yeah. but that's something that's in our queue. So I'm I'm very conscious that you've already very generously given me a lot of your time. Is there something that I haven't asked you or given you a chance to say or have railroaded you when you were trying to say that 
that you want to make sure people know? The thing I'd like to leave any listeners with is just the encouragement to, to write a letter, to take that first step, to see for yourself what that experience is like. Um, because I think people will be surprised by how rewarding it can be. Um, and I think a lot of people have uh, some barriers up about long-form writing, particularly if they know that there's an audience of readers. And I would just encourage people to get over themselves <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and take that leap because it's the, I think the rewards are worth it. Thank you, Dane. That seems like a lovely note to end on. Ayanna, yeah, thanks, Helen. Yeah. Yes, thank you, Ayanna. Thank you for joining, Helen. Yeah, good, good conversation. Thank you, everybody. And as usual, I will put all the links to everything we've mentioned into the show notes. And um, I think now that you've listened to this podcast, of course, what you should do is go to letter.wiki and check it out. Have a lovely week, everyone. You've been listening to Two for Tea, the accompanying podcast for ARIO magazine. ARIO is a non-partisan political and cultural digital magazine with a universal liberal humanist slant, edited by Helen Pluckrose with the assistance of sub-editor Yours Truly. At ARIO, we hope to counter the current atmosphere of frenzied partisanship and hysteria with calm, well-reasoned articles and civil discussions. Both ARIO and Two for Tea are entirely audience-supported. You, our readers and listeners, make these conversations possible. You can support the magazine, the podcast, or both on Patreon. Look for ARIO, A-R-E-O, A for Apple, R for Robert, E for Edward, O for Orange, and Two for Tea. All patrons will get access to free monthly patron-only podcasts and other perks. Plus, by becoming a patron, you will keep these platforms alive and flourishing. Two for Tea is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and all other podcast subscription sites. If you're listening on a podcast app, take a moment to hit that subscriber button, give us a rating, write us a brief review, even just a couple of words. Spread the news. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful week.